The AI Today podcast, produced by Cognolytica, cuts through the hype and noise to identify what is really happening now in the world of artificial intelligence. Learn about emerging AI trends, technologies, and use cases from Cognolytica analysts and guest experts. And welcome to the AI Today podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Walsh. And I'm your host, Ronald Schmelzer. And uh, the great thing about these AI Today podcasts, which we've been recording now for almost four years, it's kind of crazy to think about that we've been doing this now for four years, is that, you know, there's really we can keep talking about this subject forever because there's so many great implementations of AI across every possible conceivable industry and every perceivable corner of the universe we're implementing AI. And that's been the story of the AI Today podcast now for almost 200 episodes. We've been talking to influencers and thought leaders in around the world. You know, you can listen to interviews with folks from Australia, Norway, and, you know, the United Kingdom, and, of course, tons and tons of great influencers here in the United States where we are in, in industries such as pharmaceutical and manufacturing and retail and healthcare and in the government. And, and so if you're new to AI today, we really encourage you to listen to all the various episodes we have. There's just so many. And Basically, by the end of listening to all almost 200, you'll probably give yourself almost like a mini degree because of all the things you have learned about the adoption of AI. And it's not just great interviews, but of course, we've also have dug really deep into many of the corners of how AI is being implemented from the various use cases in different industries to the, the various technologies that we are seeing uh, implemented. So with that, the reason why we mention this is that we do see a lot of people who, who come and listen to one particular podcast or listen to another, and they don't realize of the rich library of what we have here. So we do encourage you to, to subscribe to the AI Today podcast on your favorite podcast platform and stay tuned for what we, we know will be another amazing episode we have for you today. Right. So we're excited for this podcast today, like we're excited for every podcast. Our guest today is Dr. Tim Persons, who's the Chief Scientist and Managing Director of the Science, Technology Assessment, and Analytics Team at the U.S. Government Accountability Office, also known as the GAO. So hi, Tim, and thanks so much for joining us today. Hi, Kathleen. Uh, thanks for having me on. It's great to be with you and Ron once again. Yeah, we're so excited to have you with us today. For folks that have been following us, Tim was also our September 2020 speaker at our AI and Government event, and he was one of the keynotes at our Machine Learning Lifecycle Conference. So we will link to both of those in the show notes in case you would like to watch them in more detail. But I want to start this podcast today, in case folks don't know you, um, to have you spend some time introducing yourself to our listeners and tell them a little bit about your background. And video. Yeah, so thanks. Happy to do that. So uh, as you said uh, in your kind introduction, I am the chief scientist of the GAO. We're the largest of the uh, congressional or the legislative branch agencies in the U.S. government. And uh, we have a staff about uh, 3,200, uh, maybe a little bit more in terms of uh, full-time equivalents there. But our main role is to to be the uh, oversight arm. We're also called the congressional watchdogs, by the way, um, for the U.S. Congress. So we're uh, known as the auditors. We have a lot of access into federal information and, and, and so on across a wide array of departments and agencies and so on and issues which actually makes it uh, ideal to tie in and have conversations about AI. Um, and so that's what I, I've been doing with uh, GAO uh, since 2008. But also uh, recently, we stood up a, 
a new team. It's GAO's newest team is called the Science Technology Assessment and Analytics Team. And that's significant because, uh, especially for AI, because the second A in SCAA is analytics and uh, AI is really a statistical analytics and decision sciences with respect to a machine. So uh, I work across the whole federal government supporting GAO and lead a team that does a lot of uh, oversight, insight, and foresight work in the science and technology area, especially AI. So uh, that's a little bit of the background uh, for today. Thank you. You know, I think that's really interesting because people, you know, the average person here in the United States, but probably worldwide, does not really understand the mechanism by which large governments or even small governments work. And these levels of oversight and trying to understand if the dollars that that they're spending as taxpayers are getting applied and appropriated properly and used to the value that, that they're supposed to. So it's a really interesting place to be. And of course, we're, this is an AI podcast, so we're going to talk about how AI connects to all of that, right? And and I think that's one of the the interesting questions we have for you. Maybe first, just looking at more broadly. Well, I know we'll dive a little bit more deeper into AI as it relates specifically to oversight. But I think just sort of at a at a broad brush from where you sit, you know, looking across the government, maybe looking, seeing how other agencies are are using technology and using tax dollars. You know, how do you? What do you see as some of these? interesting uh, opportunities, interesting applications, unique opportunities that the public sector, maybe in general, not even just in the U.S., has around using artificial intelligence? Yeah, great question, Ron. We could spend now until the rest of the year talking about that one. That's that's a broad, uh, very good question, of course. Uh, happy to speak to it in brief on that. But I think uh, really what AI is bringing uh, here is um, really just the, the framework of thinking about um, the future of government. I think the future is, in one sense, the now, and this still part of the public sector of the not yet. And uh, I really do think that um, what AI is, uh, is um, bringing out, particularly, especially as we sit in the middle still of our pandemic that we hope, we all hope ends soon, but really, I think about the government roles of uh, enhancing uh, both capabilities and services. So I think those are the two key things to start the conversation with AI about capabilities and services. And the reason I say that is because there's so much of the government that has changed over the last century. Uh, when you think about it, uh, that really so much of the, the mission now is uh, really a service-oriented thing. Uh, we all think about, of course, the, the what I'll call the more tactile government that we we can see, kind of we can feel we we it, it's present. Uh, you know, this is ranging from law enforcement uh, to the military to uh, one of the most beloved institutions are uh, the U.S. Park Service. Like whenever we go to uh, one of America's many great uh, parks, you know, we see the government in that way. And yet, in this day and age, especially in the digital age, uh, so much is about. Uh, doing services? How do we get those um, stimulus checks out in a time of economic distress? And how do we do that reliably so that it's not wasting taxpayer dollars, it's not uh, fraudulent, um, that we're wise with, uh, you know, the national fisc and things like that? And so I think um, really the way to think about AI is starting with those sort of two things, uh, the services in that that uh, that latter sense of what I was talking about, and the sort of the capabilities, which is really 
where you want to be with respect to law enforcement or military or other things. And you want our capabilities to be more resilient, more robust, and to outcompete uh, any potential uh, challenging nation state, let's say, to our national security. So uh, those uh, that, that's just the, the, the way I strongly advise doing that. Um, if only to ground the conversation first and what is it we're trying to do and accomplish, how do we best express our national values, and uh, and not start initially with the technology, which I fear often uh, begins with sort of a uh, a fear narrative, right? Uh, the the idea of AI has been around for uh, over a century, or you know, robots and things like that, and. It runs and jumps uh, right to the loss of control fear that we have, the fear of the unknown, the fear the robot's going to take over our lives, et cetera, that kind of thing, which I, I don't think at, at the end of things with a clear-eyed look and with a cautious optimism, um, uh, I, I think is, is much more of the order of the day for this technology. Yeah, it's interesting you bring that up because we talk about that a lot at our training. Ron and I uh, do a lot of training on artificial intelligence and also in general on these podcasts as well. You know, there's a lot of fear around AI. And when we interview people, you know, sometimes we ask, how do you get that maybe top-down approach from management where people shouldn't fear artificial intelligence and kind of get that language and buy-in saying this isn't going to replace your job, it's just going to help you do your job better. So I, I liked a lot of the you know unique opportunities that you shared, and I think that it's vast, right? You know, the public sector has a lot to benefit from artificial intelligence, but you need to make sure that people trust it and want to adopt into that technology. So, you know, following along with that, what is the role of AI for oversight, especially as it relates to data usage and algorithmic oversight? Yeah, great question. So I, I think that um, I, let me just start with GAO, and then I'll go to the you know open up the lens a little broader for the the, the federal government. But from the perspective of GAO, the the real uh, excitement of, of this is there's there's like financial oversight, right? Follow the money. Where is it going? Can we mitigate fraud? That's a big big part of GAO's mission, as well as what are we getting out of the money? Things that. Uh, AI and data analytics can support better decision-making, better risk management in a way that's never before really been possible. Uh, and so I think uh, the, the fiscal um, risk management plus the programmatic risk management uh, is very exciting for oversight. Now, that said, what we want is good oversight, right? We don't want biased oversight. We don't want skewed or incorrect oversight. And so it brings up those things, uh, Kathleen, that you talked about, uh, which are uh, the idea of algorithmic oversight, data, and so on. Uh, there is a saying in the, in the data analytics community, it is true. I mean, data are the new oil. Uh, and just like oil, you have to you know mine it and you have to uh, transport it. You have to process it. You have to do all kinds of things before, you know, from digging up uh, or or drilling into deep into the ground and extracting, you know, hydrocarbons into putting it uh, in my gas tank in my car, uh, hopefully at a reasonable price, right? Um, th that kind of thing is what uh, I think is is analogous here in terms of the data conversation. How not all data are equally valuable, um, and we need to have, uh, I think, a change in terms of looking at data as a new asset and and overseeing it in that way. Um, much more from what I think of or I recommend as the chief data officer perspective versus sometimes we might get into 
a little bit of the, you know, we, we think about the roads and bridges that, let's say, a, a chief information officer has to worry about and living up to encryption standards and do all these things. Uh, and it's, it's cost, it's burden, it's, you know, too much data. What do I do? I don't want to store it. I want to, you know, I don't want to ship too much of it around or any more than I have to. So I think um, the data are, are definitely there. And it, it, we have to think about it as an asset. We have to do oversight of the data as an asset. And we need to make sure that that data are going to best reflect or, or comply with important national moral values as expressed, for example, in something like the Civil Rights Act of 1964, right? So uh, we do want one nation uh, under God uh, with liberty and justice for all. That kind of thing is what we need to do, and we want our AI systems to do that. Algorithmically is uh, the same kind of thing, although with AI systems, what happens or what makes it incredibly interesting and yet challenging at the same time is that um, you want your algorithm to not drift into these things any more than you want skewed data or uh, dirty data or erroneous data. You also don't want your algorithm to skew uh, out of bounds or, uh, with the uh, guidelines or out of the guidelines that we need it to, to operate. And those guidelines are going to vary. That's the one thing. There's no single set of guidelines, as it were, for every AI system, simply because the risk paradigm changes. Um, uh, we did a, 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 a big strategic report on AI for the Congress in 2018, and we looked intentionally across four different areas of uh, sort of U.S. society, right? One was criminal justice, where the risk there is you don't want bias there so that you have you know, an unjust system, and you don't want to replace human judgment, and you don't want to have any of those judgments be uh, uh, skewed toward one people group versus another, et cetera, right? Versus when you we did another uh, view where we looked at uh, AI in the financial marketplace, and uh, that was where uh, we, we have financial risk in terms of AI, robo-advisors, those sort of things. And then we looked at cybersecurity, and that's information and privacy risk. And then, of course, we looked at autonomous vehicles, which is uh, risk to human life, you know, health, uh, health and human safety issues, as well as, uh, you know, you don't want to have a, an autonomous vehicle run over the neighborhood cat, you know, all of those sort of things are, are what's there, but the risk changes. So you have to think about algorithmic oversight in uh, the, the context of the guardrails, and yet what makes AI so challenging in one sense is that the machine, the computing system changes hopefully for the better, but you better have a way to audit the algorithm or at least audit the outcomes of the algorithm to say, is this consistent with what we expect? And I think it completely changes the game on when we think about future capabilities and services that AI are already supporting and will continue to support. We're going to have to think about oversight in a, in a new and different way. We're starting that certainly at GAO that we're, by the way, I, um, wanted to say geo is just now a century old but we still for our next century ai is going to be dominant in this space and this is going to be the nature of the business that we're going to be in kathleen yeah i think that's really great insight because one of the, one of the promises that we hear repeatedly here on the ai today podcast of about artificial intelligence systems in general is that they are helping us wrangle and get a better visibility into the big data 
that we have and data is being generated at a, at a sort of remarkable and almost <laughs> unimaginable rate. I think that's kind of, that's actually honestly where the analogy with data as a big oil kind of differentiates from big oil, why we actually are usually hesitant to, to use that analogy because oil is actually a limited resource. There's only so much of it. And, you know, at some point you're going to kind of reach the end of it. Whereas data seems to be an unlimited resource that gets, that could be created to ridiculous heights. We're in the zettabyte era right now. Now and you know probably you know the the rate at, it, it sort of doesn't doesn't even follow Moore's law. You know Moore's law is like what doubling every every eighteen months or something like that. We're like we're like quadrupling every six months. It feels like it's like such such a ridiculous rate. And I think that's one of the interesting things in the promise of artificial intelligence is to is to allow us to keep an eye on all this data without having you know the limitations of human ability to do that. Spot the anal the anomalies find the patterns, spot the predictions, give us better insights. And, and yeah, it has a really nice overlap with the goals of any sort of accountability. You know, we have governmental accountability, but we have to have, or, you know, organizational accountability and, and all sorts of accountability. So, so, so it's a really nice fit, um, sort of with overall missions, right? So, you know, let's talk a yeah. little bit about about some of the, Adam, do you want to talk more to that point on, on sort of the, 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 no, I'll do, no, I, I, I agree, Ron. All analogies at some point break down, so I think it's well said. Uh, I, I think the the key thing here is that uh, you know I, data are an asset depending on the context, and and there are times where data might be valuable later on than um, uh, than you might expect. Like I'll give you an example, um, just a, humor, a comical one, but actually it applies to AI. Is um, one of the big there was, I think, once a time where the most of, most of the video content on YouTube or something like that had to do with like cat, funny cat videos, right? There, there's so sort of this comical thing with these, you know, enormous amounts of data with cat videos. Um, uh, and what happened was uh, the parent company Alphabet, which is you know the parent company for Google, which also has uh, YouTube. Uh, the algorithm started to get better at being able to use all that massive amount of cat data because there's different shapes and sizes and colors of cats and different orientations to the way the cats are being filmed and all these sort of things. The machine system could see, and I put in air quotes around that, see a system only because you had that massive amount of data to be able to train it so that now you have a system where it can see cats or classify or categorize them better than a human. So that's I, I I had my background in engineering and in in and really in medical engineering where we really wanted to have this the problem was to say uh, you know we have a cancer a patient who comes in with cancer and we need to take a scan of the person like a CT scan or an MRI or whatever and now the challenge is how do I find that cancer so that we can treat it whether it's surgical or whether it's radiation treatment etc. Um, and so much of the, the uh, enormous um, advances that we've seen in machine vision actually comically come from things like cat videos, uh, among other things. But that's, that's just to your point. So I think that it is exciting uh, to see what can be done. And it does seem like this limit, limitless resource, although at the end of the day, you're going to have to figure out what's the right amount of resource that, that are required. And then how do I have accountability both around the data itself and the algorithm and then track things so that it's always getting better instead of uh, uh, giving us errors or doing funny or comical things like some systems today still do. Yeah. So, good point. 
Well, that well, that actually is a really really good transition here to this to this question because, you know, you know there are some challenges with AI systems, right? So, you know, so what do you see as some of the challenges in data governance or security or ownership or some of the other issues that you're starting to either slow down the adoption of advanced AI and data analytics techniques or or just you're starting to see kind of coming up now with 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 more frequency. Sure. So I think the biggest one I'll just start with, and I could just I could start and end with this one, but I'll just I'll mention this and and then maybe say a couple other things. But the biggest one, the biggest challenge to AI at the end of the day isn't technical. As much as they're technical, I, I used to write code. I did machine learning systems. I was in engineering and dealing with data. All that is hard. It was not a, an easy thing. It was not a, a trivial thing for me to earn uh, a dissertation in in the field. Right. However. Um, that said, the hardest part isn't that. The hardest part is cultural. And so it goes just goes back to that fear narrative concern that uh, we've seen and fear of the unknown, fear of loss of control, instead of, again, thinking about these opportunities for how, do, uh, how, how can we make our lives and jobs better, not to replace us, but to allow us to function at a higher and better level, uh, right? Like uh, centuries ago, my ancestors used to go out to the creek bed and take the clothes and, you know, scrub against the washboard uh, in, in all kinds of horrible weather and without a lot of advanced soap or hot water. And now we throw it in a machine and push a button and, and put in, you know, a pod of, of detergent and we're done. And so it, that's the whole idea of that, that newer paradigm doesn't mean that I'm replaced as a human because I don't have to scrub my clothes on the washboard anymore. It just gives me freedom to do and, and, and deal with higher, more complex things. And let me just say that anyone that thinks that we're going to be, you know, all sitting around, robots are going to be doing everything for us, uh, kind of like the WALL-E movie that Pixar put out that my kids and I really enjoyed. But that's not going to happen because for every key thing that you think a machine is going to solve, I can always present you a bigger and more complex and gnarly problem that machines are not going to solve. Right. I uh, think about the the big problems of the day. Right. The pandemic management, the vaccine development. Right. Cybersecurity, climate change, all of these issues. I'm, there's no AI magic button that we're going to be able to push, uh, and, and and it's going to you know solve our all our woes. So I think that you know we need to really think about this in terms of um, the opportunities here. Uh, and yet there are challenges. Those challenges are being the nature of the oversight we're going to have to do, uh, the understanding of, uh, I think, is a cultural shift also, Ron, about moving from uh, what computer scientists will call deterministic systems, right? Meaning when I put a couple numbers in black and white in, a, in an Excel spreadsheet, you know, and I can do two plus two is four, that kind of thing. And I can prove that two plus two is four very deterministically. I can see everything. And, and Ron, you could come and check my math and, and check to make sure that I entered those things into the Excel spreadsheet properly, right? We could do all of that. That's deterministic. Uh, AI is messier, right? It's statistical. It's large scale, like you said, finding patterns that we wouldn't necessarily see. And sometimes there's a risk that systems uh, make the mistake of correlation versus causation, right? The rooster uh, or the sun doesn't rise just because the rooster crows, right? It's it's there's just the issue that the rooster is crowing uh, as a correlated event. It's not that the rooster is causing the sun to rise, right? So we have to avoid those errors, and we have to understand that these 
systems, uh, these computer systems with AI will change their nature over time. And we have to think about it in that sort of statistical, you know, in other words, probabilistic framework. Now, here's the hopefully good news, but I just want to, you know, be, be very clear about this as an engineer. One thing that I'm very adamant about with AI is reminding folks that uh, you know, when you say, okay, well, the autonomous vehicle cannot get into a wreck, right? If you're holding it to some super high standard, say zero wrecks, which we certainly want. Nobody wants uh, wrecks with autonomous cars and human lives to be lost. But the reality is, is that we accept as a baseline already, people already in our current system are killed um, in non-AI systems. Okay, so the point is, is that we need to be honest about an apples to apples comparison on what we are expecting these systems to do and to manage. And yes, there are risks. And no, we don't want loss of this or damage to that. But we already accept a certain amount of things. In other words, we don't live in a zero risk framework already. So we have to just ask ourselves, what risks are we accepting right now for, for our given context or our paradigm? So that said. What do we want to avoid? Again, we don't want to have biased systems. We don't want to have erroneous systems. Um, we need to test them significantly extensively. And that's one of the things in our body of work for the Congress, what we've been saying is, I, I don't care which department or agency you're from, you're going to need to have a test bed, a, a sandbox, a laboratory. In fact, it's why right now we've uh, now stood up in the Innovation Lab for GAO because of those questions when Kathleen was asking about what does it mean for oversight? And Ron, you're asking that. We want to know how is this going to how is this going to affect how we, even as an agency, do our job to better support Congress, uh, to better support our nonpartisan, fact-based, non-ideological work that we do, right, for our second century of life. So um, the point is, is that we we do have to uh, think about these these things uh, holistically. We have to baseline them according to the real uh, risks that we already accept, but we have to manage them in, in, in certain ways that allow us to de-risk them, uh, allow us to truly understand, and we have to think differently about our computation than heretofore that we've, we've done. So, um, yeah, I'll, I'll pause there for you to see if you want to chime in. No, I think that's really, really good insight. I think, you know, you know, I, th I think the the ability for AI is just a tool. I mean, <laughs> the day you're talking right. about this, it's like, you know, will robots replace us? The answer is like, no, because we will find sort of the deeper and the higher value things. I really like the analogy of the, of we don't wash our own clothes anymore, but that doesn't mean we're sitting around doing nothing. All the, Look about all the time we used to do spending you know, uh, at the river or wherever, washing the clothes manually. It's not like all of a sudden we're like, man, what am I going to do with all this extra time now? And it's like, no, we've, we've found uh, very effective ways to fill that time. <laughs> we're doing other things now. It's crazy because you're right. We're in a technologically defined era. This is sort of like, if you look at kind of how we are compared to 100, 200, 300 years ago, it's, we're almost like almost a completely different species, even though we're not. You know, uh, we're just such a very, very different life hold. But somehow, we are busier than we ever were. And you'd think that with every innovation from the car to electricity to telephones to you know, washing machines and right. micro microwave right. ovens, yeah. I mean, 
uh, how how is so so you're right. I mean, it's so just you know just like it's like well you know technology is technology, and it's just you know the AI trend is going to follow that same path. So it's really kind of interesting insight, right? Yeah. Well, there's always and here's one thing to be sure is. Because I, again, I rate myself as a cautious optimist about AI. I think the future is bright. Uh, there's, there's all kinds of reasons to, to be that way. Although, again, we have to be, I still have to be realistic enough to say there's a lot of work to be done, uh, both technically and culturally on this. But I, I, I agree. I think the, uh, there's, there's so much, uh, opportunity and reason to do this because, uh, the alternative is, are, are we just going to accept what we're doing? Uh, now and 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 think that uh, everything's okay. I I laugh when you were um, saying you know uh, help us out and and do things like or do, dealing with the information overload because I still have like a thousand unread emails in my box. I you know the just like every technology, there's always a double edged sword nature to that. And and folks, you should be careful every time you hear a scientist or engineer say infinitives like always or never, right? But this. What I mean by that is to say every technology has an upside and a downside. It's true of AI. We've already, Hollywood has allowed us, because I love to, to watch the fun movies and sci-fi. I'm a, I'm a big, big fan of that. Uh, but we, we filled in the vacuum with, again, that fear narrative and so on, that we, we can clearly see the downsides. We don't want bias. It's unacceptable. Uh, but we have to also believe that our systems, though they might be wrong or more wrong initially on things over time, they will get better. Just like the cat videos helped uh, mach now machine learning systems be able to categorize not only cats, but all kinds of animals. And we're solving problems where a human doesn't have to sit there and, and look at a video stream to say, you know, that's this kind of animal and that that video is about something else. And think about what that means in terms of, you know, uh, potential law enforcement support. And yet at the same time, you know, we don't want a surveillance state either. Right. So you, there's that double-edged sword will, has already come out. Uh, what I want to make sure, uh, one of my passions about AI is just making sure we have balanced narratives about that. So not too much over-optimism that isn't uh, realistic about the challenges and uh, isn't honest about the risks. And yeah, on the other hand, something that just, you know, uh, is worried about the machine singularity and it's going to take over and we're all going to die. I think that's Although both of those uh, extreme ends are to be avoided, in my opinion. Well, that was great insights. And this leads into our final question. What do you believe the future of AI is in general and its application to governments, organizations, and beyond? Yeah, so I I think um, the future is bright, as, as I mentioned, because uh, there's just so much um, challenge in our world today that is ripe for the picking, as it were, if we would but be able to uh, coordinate together, uh, figure out how to to um, reduce these problems into things that uh, machines can assist with but not replace. And so again, avoidance of those to the you know the killbot or deathbot type narrative. On one hand, or the job apocalypse type narrative on the other, I think is 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 in order. Uh, I think that um, uh, you know any uh, very powerful technology that is transformative as AI is, and so on. Uh, eventually, I'll say something that sounds strange, but I'll explain. But I think any of these uh, key technologies that have historically just radically transformed things ultimately. And interestingly, they disappear. Okay. Now, what do I mean by that? These are what are called general purpose technologies. 
where when you think about, again, centuries ago, I talk about my ancestors with the washboard, but back then they didn't have electrification. And there was once a time, and I'm very sad, of course, right now, our poor uh, Americans living in Texas are struggling with, you know, massive power outages and, and winter weather and so on. You see the power of what, when we take electrification out, the risks that are caused. But you think about, it, I mean, I can walk into any, uh, just about every building that I've ever been in, uh, I can see outlets on the wall. I just plug something in. Maybe I want to charge my phone or plug in my laptop or whatever. And I just, I completely ignore uh, the miracle of distributed electrification that once was a miracle way back then. Okay. So our smartphones are the same thing. So to think about uh, my two kids now, they each have a smartphone. That was something unimaginable uh, when I was, uh, you know, a teenage, uh, their age as a teenager, uh, even though that would have been cool, but I'm saying I had no idea that you could hold something like that in your hand and all the things that you could do with smartphones these days and what that means. So, but they pull it out now and nobody thinks twice about it because essentially, again, the mobile phone has kind of disappeared as it were. Nobody thinks much of it. And so in the same way, AI is changing and is becoming that. Uh, those who are worried about the AI is coming or, or uh, I, you know, I don't want to scare folks. I just want to say, look, AI is already here, right? We have AI. Uh, it, it hasn't, you know, the four horsemen of the apocalypse have not come across, right, as a result of that already. And I don't see that happening anytime soon or, or really ever uh, in that. Now, that's not, again, um, throwing off the, the any of the concern or the risks and so on. But we can't we can't imagine sort of things that are so scary that we fail to act and capitalize and risk manage how we do things. Again, reducing things to um, to the uh, the issue of services or capabilities. And this doesn't just apply to government. This applies to the private sector. It applies to academia, et cetera. But the, the bottom line is, is that um, shouldn't be afraid. Uh, we have lots to uh, look forward to on this. There will be challenges, uh, but this ultimately, in, a, in another decade, We'll have more and more of these things that we'll just take for granted and be like, oh, yeah, that, you know, that's that's now scheduling my, um, you know, my calendar now in a way that allows my executive assistant to do other higher function things that I might need him or her to do. And uh, that's exciting because our, our challenges are complex. They're growing um, and there's no future of these complex challenges without AI. Again, let me say that again. There's no future of dealing with our complex challenges without AI as a tool to help solve it, uh, period. So it's not if we do AI, it's how we do it. And we need to do it responsibly, yes. But we cannot um, say, well, it could be biased. Yes, we know that. But we need to figure out how we manage, given that uh, you know we need to uh, provide the oversight so that we mitigate that bias. So we keep the machine sort of within the guardrails we need it to do. And I think uh, for that reason, the future is bright and we should not be afraid. Yeah, well, 
This is why we, we spend all of our time talking about it. So, and I think most of our listeners hopefully have, have heard all these various, you know, examples and use cases. And, and yes, you know, a lot of what we talk about is so-called narrow AI, you know, appli- particular applications of, of particular patterns of AI. You know, we have not yet figured out how to build the generally intelligent machine. We, we have had um, uh, Ben Gertzel on as uh, one of our podcast guests. So if you want to listen to him, you can listen to that or Colin Angle, who founder of iRobot, a few... And many other researchers from Louis Paris Breva and others. So we have definitely talked about the topic of the general intelligence, but we are still working on sort of the, the kinds of things that even a toddler can do really well. We're still trying to get machines to do well. So, so, but, so it's a bright future. I, I think we agree. There's lots, lots of, of very practical use cases for it. And, uh, you know, I think it was great to hear from you, Tim. I think a lot of our, our people here on our podcast really got a lot of value from your insights and your ne- unique perspectives kind of from where you sit, both within the government as well as your, your background and your, uh, you know, interest in the subject. Sure. Thanks very much, uh, very much, Ron. It was my pleasure. And Kathleen, great to be with you all again. Appreciate the time. And uh, I'll connect with you again. Yeah, we're, we always love spending time with you. So thank you for joining us. And listeners, if you enjoy listening to this podcast, please make sure to rate us on iTunes, Google, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. As always, we'll post any articles and concepts discussed in the show notes, as well as a link to Tim's September 2020 AI and government event and the keynote at the Machine Learning Lifecycle Conference. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you at the next episode. And that's a wrap for today. To download this episode, find additional episodes and transcripts, subscribe to our newsletter and more, please visit our website at Cognolitica.com. Join the discussion in between podcasts on the AI Today Facebook group, and make sure to join the Cognolitica Facebook page for updates on this and future podcasts. Also subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Google Play, and elsewhere to get notified of future episodes. Want to support this podcast and get your message out to our listeners? Then become a sponsor. We offer significant benefits for AI Today sponsors, including promotion in the podcast and landing page, and opportunities to be a guest on the AI Today show. For more information on sponsorship, visit the Cognolytica website and click on the podcast link. This sound recording and its contents is copyright by Cognolytica, all rights reserved. Music by Matsu Gravas. As always, thanks for listening to AI Today, and we'll catch you at the next podcast. <laughs>